When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is starting a new campaign this week, which is three points for a draw. I'm Kevin Day, these local <laughs> universities, Kieran Maguire. Kieran, seriously, it takes a special skill to dominate a game so much, so many times, and to only come away with a draw. So that just getting one point for that's not not right. It's not fair, Kieran. We have to change something. Yeah, well, well you know, there was a side last season that, that uh, was very good on XG, and uh, perhaps Palace has taken over that throne. Yeah, yeah. Last season, yeah, no crowds, different. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's questions day, Kieran. Um, and as ever, we have some very good questions, uh, very interesting questions, which is not to imply we've never had bad questions. They, they've certainly had me up since the crack of dawn trying to research. I didn't look till late last night, but I thought, ah, he's not getting much sleep. But then, you know, <laughs> for various musical reasons, he doesn't get a lot of sleep anyway. Um, but there is one news story, Kieran, which is hopefully, hopefully a more upbeat turn to a story that we've been talking about since the very, very first pod, and that is that the Berry Fans Group, uh, EST 1885, has confirmed it's closing in on a deal to buy Berry FC and Gig Lane Stadium. So there could be a Berry playing back at Gig Lane shortly. Yes, um, and I think this uh, this is positive news. Uh, a, a statement came out effectively from uh, Stephen Wiseglass, who is the administrator of... Berry Football Club, um, where he has said he's reached what's referred to as heads of terms, i.e. a broad agreement um, with uh, Esther 1885 with, to sell both the, the stadium, the intellectual property, i.e. effectively you know, the club crest, um, and the, the history of the club, which he's managed to get hold of uh, in terms of trophies and, and things like that, um, to, a, uh, to, to this organisation. Um, I think they've come out with a, a statement to say that it is their intention that the club going forward will be majority fan owned. It will be community based. Um, it will be debt free. Uh, and they they believe that they've got funding. First of all, yeah, they're trying to organise their own funding. Secondly, they feel that they've got some benefactors, both local and overseas. They believe that they'll be able to tie into uh, government funds as well. Um, so, so, yeah, th- this all looks very positive and um, sort of looking at the other club which has gone out of existence um, over the course of, of the last couple of years and I, I, still, I think Macclesfield have really gone under the radar because they, they they did sort of resume relatively quickly but remember the new club is Macclesfield FC rather than Macclesfield Town. Um, yesterday Macclesfield played in front of more than 3,000 fans in the eighth tier mm, of English football. Brilliant. So um, you've got to give huge credit to the, the Macclesfield owner and also uh, Robbie Savage. I, I, I know some people 
have have a have a negative opinion of him. But I, I I've met Robbie and I've, I've always found him to be absolutely absolutely charming. He he knows he's a pantomime villain, but you you talk to anybody in Macclesfield and he's there on a regular basis, you know, in the evenings helping out with the kids' training, um, and just and you know being a very good front of house person as as far as as the progress of that club is concerned so if uh, if, if Berry uh, can do the same at Gig Lane then, then good for them um and I, and I did listen to a, a quick interview yesterday between uh, f- from one of the uh, the people connected with the the organization uh, relating to the acquisition of Gig Lane uh, and it looks like they're they're holding out some form of olive branch to the the other Berry football club Berry AFC um and, and yeah we we've said Come together, you know. You, you you can coexist, but you know, mm. fighting uh, is 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 the last thing that's needed. Um, and certainly, my experience of attending some of the meetings at Berry Town Hall, um, you know, when all of this happened, was it, it, it was just one of great sadness that that people who were friends had become enemies. I I, I like Robbie Savage. It's just that. My God, does he like the sound of his own voice? And I, and I, you know, <laughs> I'm saying that as somebody who likes the sound of his own voice. I mean, I admire the fact that that's that's why I prefer my conversations two way. And I know I know there are many people out there saying hello, Mister Pot. Um, but also, do you know? Okay, I mean, this is a good news story at the moment, or tentatively a good news story. But just that phrase, they've, he's managed to buy the tradition of the club. It kind of jars a little bit, but it's good that they've whoever moves back to Gig Lane will have the trophies and the the history as part of the deal. Yes, yes. So, uh, I mean, the the administrator reckons it will take around about two months to complete the deal, which, um, yeah, he says that's the norm. To, to me, that 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 sounds a wee bit long. Uh, certainly, from my experience of insolvency deals, you, know, you you want to get in and get out as quickly as you can. Um, so, so that's that's a slight uh, slight note of caution. But uh, you know, we, uh, we we wish them all the best, and and if they want to get in contact with us and, and tell them what you know to to come on on the show and explain what what they've been up to and, and the progress they've made, we'll, we'll be delighted to host them. Uh, we absolutely would, and and who knows, producer guy lives in that neck of the woods. Just he might put his hand in his pocket. You never know. He would he would he would demand a giant portrait of himself in the reception. But you know, you never know. It's questions time, Kieran, and our first two questions. And it's always a pleasure to visit Scotland. And the first one comes from Matthew Bellwood. And Matthew says, as a Hearts fan, how wide is the financial disparity in Scottish football for the old firm versus the non-old firm teams? For example, would it be the equivalent? of Man City playing in League One or League Two. It's an interesting question, Kieran, as we talk about this difference a lot between uh, Rangers, Celtic and the rest of Scottish football. But we've never actually put a figure on it, have we? That, that's right. Um, if, if we take a look at Rangers and Celtic, I think in, in, the, in the most recent accounts, pre-COVID or 2020 accounts, we had Celtic generating around about £60 million, Rangers about 50. Hearts came in uh, sort of third stroke fourth um, at uh, at eleven to twelve. Right. So you know, in terms of magnitude, um, they're, 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 they've got around about a fifth of the, the money of the two big Glasgow clubs. Um, their wage bill is, is similar, and then when you and, and Hearts are still a long way ahead of some of the other clubs in in the Scottish Premiership. There's clubs who are generating no more than three to four million pounds. A year, so you know that that makes them about one twentieth of the size of of Rangers and Celtic. 
Um, so, you know, that, that perhaps explains why um, no club other than Rangers or Celtic has won the, the top Scottish division since 1985. Um, I, I looked at... Uh, I looked at player transfers, and and between them, um, Rangers and Celtic um, spent. I think it came to ninety six percent of the total um, spend on transfers in the whole of Scotland. Wow! Which is which is just incredible. Yeah. Um, Hearts squad costs one point one million pounds. Uh, Rangers was twenty five. And Celtics was fifty. Now this is this is based on the most recent account, so they will have made some signings since then. But uh, yeah, the, the magnitude of the gap is just gobsmacking. And, and it's it's strange, isn't it? Because again, this is is well travelled territory for us, Kieran. But uh, we've talked about this when you know, when we were growing up. Hearts, Hibs, both Dundee clubs, Aberdeen were never that far behind. I mean, they were those clubs were regularly playing in Europe. It, you know, you couldn't guarantee that Rangers or Celtic would win the title every year, and that you you can't see that not happening in the near future again, can you? No, the the, the financial gap is so big, and, and I always say to people, say to me, well, you can't guarantee success by signing players on uh, bigger transfer fees and bigger wages, and yeah, that's true, you can't guarantee. But what it allows you to do is to make more mistakes. So if if a club such as Hearts does spend £500,000 on a player and it doesn't work, then they've got a problem. If uh, Rangers and Celtic do it, then they can go and then they, they should go, you know, make that player play in the reserves and, and they can easily replace them with, with making another signing of the same of the same size. And, and, and we've seen similar, you know, we've been talking recently about Newcastle and Chelsea and, and Manchester City and you know, having rich owners who have funded. Well, if you've got a, if you've got big stadiums um, and, and, you know, both, and both, both Celtic and Rangers have, have huge support uh, in terms of their ability to sell out their stadiums, um, that gives you the money to allow you to, to make both good and bad decisions on the pitch. And, Ultimately, money talks in football. And yet, as we've discussed before, Kieran, the irony is in Scottish football that once the rest of the clubs kind of give up on the fact that they're never going to win the Premier League, the finances become more sensible and they might not win the Premier League, but they're less likely to go bust trying. You're, you're absolutely right. So they, 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 they adopt a sustainable model um, which, which is which is great in many ways because it doesn't matter where where in Scotland your, your club is based, you want it to be there in five or ten years' time. And some of the problems that we've seen in England, especially in the Championship, have been because you've got owners that do chase the dream, i.e., they they, they spend because they want to get up uh, and challenge to just to be in the bottom six of the Premier League, and when that doesn't work out, you know that, that puts the clubs in a in a very very damaged financial situation. Yeah, do you know what I might? I think occasionally I've heard a rumor that you get a spare afternoon, um, I, maybe Boxing Day. You mean, I'm not sure if you're doing anything Boxing Day, so I'll set you a little bit of research as to why we think because Edinburgh isn't as big a city as Glasgow, but it's not that far behind, and it's got a huge football fan base. It would be interesting to discover whether there ever was a time when Edinburgh competed financially with Glasgow. Because I'm never able, because I love Edinburgh, as you know, but when I'm there talking to football fans, it's they kind of just go, it's always been that way. But there maybe was a time, and maybe our listeners will be able to tell us. And we go to another part of Scotland now, another club, Dumbarton, and we have a question from a name that will resonate with Palace fans of a certain age, i.e. me, uh, David Kemp, 
what a player he was. I like to think this might be that David Kemp, just so I can say that I vicariously met David Kemp. <laughs> um, but if it's not that David Kemp, hello, David Kemp. Uh, I think I've probably said David Kemp enough now, but David Kemp's question relates to the recent takeover of his club, Dumbarton, by Cognitive Capital Limited. Our support are keen to know what they are like and whether you think they look like wrongins or not, which is um, producer guy will be twitching as we speak. Um, Kieran, that, that Cognitive Capital rings a bell to me for some reason. Should it? Have they, have they been involved in football before? Um. Nothing nothing major. They are a Chicago-based private equity company. Uh, which... I've, got, I've, I've got the wrong cognitive capital there completely. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've got the wrong David Kemp and the wrong cognitive capital limited. Um, and they, they appear to be – and they've set up a UK-based company, to, it looks like, to put through this deal. And, and that company itself um, – for David, you know, it's very difficult to work out its finances because it because it produces about two pages of information. If if we take a look at um, the Sons, um, which is a fantastic nickname, the Sons of the Rock, which is yeah. Dumbarton, um, they're they're a part time team. I believe the deal was for they they were sold for one point six million pounds. Um, looking at them, looking at their historic finances, they were probably losing about a hundred thousand pounds a year, which is is a little bit uh, concerning. And their former owners uh, appeared to be based in Belize, uh, oh. which never makes me feel particularly comfortable. As soon as you mention, you know, Belize, Cayman Islands, Turks and Caicos Islands, and places like that, uh, not not noted for their uh, desire for transparency. Um, the, the previous owners had been trying to have some form of property deal, which would have involved residential properties as well, for, in respect of, of property development. And that was rejected by councillors. Um, the new owners have certainly said all the right things. And it, and it looks as if they spent two years trying to buy the club. So you know, that, that to me is, is somewhat counterintuitive. Private equity companies like to get in you know, buy their companies and start making money out of them straight away. So this is a, uh, a weird one. Um, in respect of the the new owners, um, that they are owned by, or they're effectively owned by a Norwegian guy called Henning Christofferson. And I thought it was was he in a film with Barbara Streisland at one time? Barbara Streisland. I don't know about maybe no, Chris Christopherson was in the film. Oh, okay. Bar- Barbara Streisand. Uh, Barbara Streisland is her less successful cousin. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I, I can't really say I can be positive or negative uh, about them, David. Um, private equity companies are looking for a return on the investment, which is a financial in nature. Yeah, that's why they exist, um, and I know that there are lots of um, uh, American investors who believe that there is value in Scottish football. Um, it was only last week that the the Aberdeen versus Dundee match kicked off at six pm, and people were scratching their heads. Uh, and it turns out that both, I think, both sets of owners ha- have connections to the US, and they believe that there is a a potential. Uh, market uh, in terms of interested fans who want to watch this on TV. So that's why it, it was, you know, to, to have your kickoff changed for a, a American TV audience it, for Aberdeen is is un, certainly unusual. Um, so th- there's a lot of interest in Scottish football from the US at present. Um, 
Dumbarton yesterday. I, mean, I, I don't know about Wrongham's off the pitch, but uh, yesterday they finished with eight men, uh, having had three red cards against uh, in a defeat at Airdrieonians, which which sounds like they've got a few Wrongham's uh, on the pitch as well. Yeah. I, I suppose it makes sense that American interest. I mean, because there's a huge Scottish diaspora. Uh, across the world, and you know, many many people in, in the US have got Scottish roots or claim Scottish roots. So they, yeah, that's a, that's a way of showing our loyalty is watching Scottish football. I think mean, I've probably said this before. Um, I don't know if I've ever ever asked for proof, but my favourite favourite football photograph ever was from it was one of the annuals around seventy one seventy two. It was Dumbarton versus Party Thistle, and as a Dumbarton player who's on the ground, he's in so much pain. He's biting the shin pad of the Partick Fistle player that's trying to, <laughs> trying to help him. But I, I, and it's an amazing photograph. But I just remember the caption was along the lines of, "Look at this softy. Like, it's just <laughs> his legs hanging off in two places. He should be running it off, not biting somebody's shin pad." Um, if any Dunbarton fans can prove that, again, it, it, it may be a false memory. It may be another club, but I always remember it. It's, 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 it's black and white stripes. I'm sure it's Dunbarton. But getting three players sent off is um, that's I was like, I wish I'd been at that game. It's the sort of yes. game you want. If you can't, you know, <laughs> I was I was getting really cross when commentators say no one likes to see scenes like that. Yes, they do. No, they we have, do. We love they it. Absolutely, of course, we love it. <laughs> well, I get cross if the goalkeeper doesn't join in a, a, a brawl. I get really cross. So <laughs> stop leaning on that post. Show you love the club. Um, a simple but a possibly plaintive question from Jamie Mercer. Uh, and Jamie Mercer says, can you give us an update on the state of Bolton's finances? Right. Um, so Bolton Wanderers went into administration um, under the ownership of Ken Anderson, a man who was previously banned from being a director of any company for, I think it was seven years, which is, uh, yeah, it's, it's actually, he's still still passed the tests, which, uh, yeah. which, which allow people to take over football clubs. Um, and uh, they, they didn't last particularly long under Ken Anderson. Um, and uh, we now have uh, people in charge called Football Ventures um, Limited. And in the first season of owning Bolton Wanderers, the, the club lost four million pounds. So that is that is a you know, that's not that's not brilliant. But you know they would have had set up costs. This was the twenty nineteen twenty season, so it would have been partially impacted by COVID as well. Um, so yeah, that that was that got me slightly concerned. But you have to give a lot of credit to Football Ventures in that um, they've they've managed to come out of when, when you go into administration and then you come out um, under EFL rules, you've got a period of time in which to pay your creditors a proportion of what is owed to them. Now, it's normally 25% or 35%, depending upon the individual rules. And if you fail to do that, you then get a an automatic 15-point penalty. Um, and this is actually a really good rule. This this is to this, this is to stop people coming into football, um, running it like a yeah, running like they're playing at the casino, um, lose interest, and and then 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 completely stiff the creditors. Um, and and just 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 take over. So you know, if we go back, if we go back about fifteen years, this was happening a lot. There mm-hmm. were certain owners who had a very strategic approach to using the administration system. So fair play to the EFL; they have made it far more punitive if if you take such an approach. So uh, football ventures have managed to find three and a half million pounds to to pay off the the creditors effectively of the old co. Um, and that 
you know, that, that means that there is less money, of course, to invest on the pitch and so on. So, so Bolton's season has been, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not fantastic. It's not dreadful. Um, but if I think if Bolton fans were expecting more progress this season on the pitch, this is a far more important issue. Um, and, and, and you've got to give credit to, uh, I think it's Sharon Britton, who's, uh, who's head um, of, of uh, you know, the approach that they have taken to, to trying to create a more sustainable, a, a more, uh, a more rational Bolton Wanderers uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to have gone to Burnham Park. Yeah. I've, I've been to the new stadium, which I, which I still call the Reebok. Yeah. Um, um, and it's, and it's a great place to watch football. And also it's, it's tradition. You know, it's, it's one of those clubs that when you grew up as a kid, you knew about Bolton through its history. Of course. One of those great Northwest clubs up there with Preston and Oldham and clubs like that. Of course you knew about Bolton through its history. And also, it was broadcasting. There was always a pleasure, especially when they, uh, as you know, when Sam Allardyce was doing what he loved most, punching a London team in the face. <laughs> as, long as, as long as we weren't the London team in, in question, but uh, I, that that Bolton Arsenal rivalry for about three or four seasons in the Premier League was was a great one to watch. Yes, um, Tom McCormick. Now, even with my lack of financial acumen, Kieran, this seems like an interesting grown-up question. And I'm quite looking forward to reading it because it's going to make me seem like an interesting grown-up. Uh, <laughs> but Tom McCormick's question is, something I've always wondered about is because of the amount of debts around sports clubs is whether a club could hypothetically sell some of their debt to fans in the shape of bonds. Um, they, they, can, they certainly have set up bonds. Um, we've had the Canary Bond at Norwich, which went into um, uh, allowing the club to buy uh, improved training facilities. Um, and and you, you could say, and effectively what happened there, instead of borrowing from the banks, they borrowed from the fans. Um, and the part of the deal was you got a, a return in a form of an interest rate, which was lower than the bank would charge. And also, yeah, we, we've discussed this on quite a few occasions, local commercial banks are very, very twitchy about lending to football clubs because if things go wrong, you do not want to be the bank manager who yeah. pulls the plug on the yeah. local football club. Of so so uh, Norwich have done this. We've seen this with AFC Wimbledon. Um, they, they've got their... Uh, they've got their Don's bond, and um, in in the last few weeks, uh, QPR have have done something similar. So I, I think I think clubs are now tapping into this: is that they they can view fans as a cheaper form of funding than the the commercial banks than the, the traditional avenues, um, and therefore that works. And also, they can incentivize the fans through either you know perhaps discounts on merchandise or I know with uh, with Norwich um, I think they the the fans got a, a a bonus should the club have been promoted to the Premier League which consequently they were so it's it, it is a a financial vehicle which clubs are willing to adopt um I think it would be a harder sell however if they um if the if the club goes to the fans and says um, we've got some existing debts. Will you buy them off us? Mm. Um, and we will give you a lower rate of return because the fans will say, well, you know, how's this going to improve the, fact the club on the pitch? If you take a look at the Norwich, the, the AFC Wimbledon and the QPR um, uh, vehicles, all of those, you can see a tangible benefit. And also, if you are a fan, you, you know, if you're driving past the new training grounds, you say, well, yeah, 
I, I help build I help build that. Mm. And you get that sense of pride. Whereas I don't think it would necessarily be the case if you were switching from um some sort of vampire lender to a club to to a to a fan based um debt vehicle. Although it could, of course, claim, save the club quite a lot of money if that approach was taken. It's a sure sign, Kieran, that we've been married too long. Apart from the fact we only speak to each other twice a week, but um, uh, well, I, proper marriage, then, isn't it? Yeah, we, we, which everybody at home knows that's not true. It's postmodern irony. Uh, but I, I, I'd written down how do you market selling debt to fans because you, you literally can't turn around and say to the fans that we're in a bit of trouble here. We're going to sell some of the debt to you, so you have to find another way of of saying it so fans feel that they're taking part and not just bailing you out. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Although you, you could you could say it, say to fans, if you do this, you're rescuing the club. Yeah, and and we've seen the amazing efforts of so many fans at so many clubs up and down the country. Um, you know, course, for, yes, for, go, for going their season tickets. Yeah, that that's effectively lent. Well, it's not, it's not even lending; it's just donating money to the football club. So. Um, fa- Fans are are fair if they if they perceive the owners to be not or to be non wrongans um, to be on the right side of the angels. Then you know I think many will um, come forward if 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 they feel that they are being given um, uh, treated 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 appropriately um, and treated fairly. And are these bonds sold in varying prices and varying amounts, or is it just one bond for five hundred pound? Or, or, or you know, are there different price bands? Well, well, what happens? I think there's normally there's, 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 they tend to be sold in four five hundred pound batches or one hundred pound yeah. batches. So, so you can you can buy a minimum of five hundred, but you could buy 10, 10 of those five hundred. So you can put in five grand or, or whatever it is. Uh, and I know with the with the AFC Wimbledon. Um, which I thought was quite clever. This that they gave you a variety of interest rates. So, right, okay. you know, so, so if you want to forego having any interest, you could do so. If you wanted one and a half percent, I think it going up to you know a maximum of say three, three and a half percent, whatever it was going to be. Um, so, you know, different people with different circumstances could could in you know uh, lend money to the club. But th- th- this is not a way then that um, a wealthy individual could buy. Access to the club is. I mean, can, is, as you say, there's an upper limit on the amount of bonds you can buy, just so a local businessman doesn't go right. I'll buy them all now. I've got. I want something in return. Um, th- there's there's quite often a ceiling, and, and I'd always advise clubs to have a ceiling on this because, as you rightly say, um, you, you don't want to become beholden to one individual. Remember the the, the difference between buying debt and shares is that shares give you votes and therefore at the annual general right. meeting it means your voice can be heard and if you have enough shares then you can start to appoint the directors and you can start to control the clubs debt does not give you any influence right. in terms okay. of day-to-day activity um the, the the issue with debt is that ultimately it's it, it's got a repayment date um, and here, using your local businessman analogy, whose whose intentions might not be uh, particularly honourable, that there could be a problem. You know, what I would say under those circumstances is either say that no one individual can own more than ten percent of the debt, or um, in terms of your repayment dates, make sure that the the repayment is is not for a, a significant period of time. All right. Two questions about Aston Villa, and the first one comes from Phil Shadwell. Uh, Shadwell is a name. Uh, that I like, 
because it reminds me of a character by a brilliant, brilliant but underrated comedian called John Sparks back in the day. I remember uh, him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, John Sparks was yeah, great. Yeah. Such a nice bloke. So talented. Bad drunk. Not true. Um, Phil Shadwell's question was, last season, Aston Villa volunteered to host the Champions League final at Villa Park in place of Istanbul due to COVID. UEFA said it had to be a five-star rated stadium that hosts the final and at Villa Park would need a lot of work done to reach that five-star rating. So Phil's question is, how much would it cost to upgrade from the current four-star to five-star? Right. Um, as far as um, the UEFA five-star stadium is concerned, the first thing you need is a capacity of 50,000. So Villas is low 40s at present, I think. Okay. Um, so they, they would have to um, increase the size of the ground. Then there's things like uh, floodlights. Well, they should be fine on those because they you know, they, they have uh, Premier League games there. Um, media facilities, disabled fan facilities, those all seem to be right. The changing rooms have to be identical. The pitch size has to be a minimum of 105 by 68 metres, which is an example for, for why um, Liverpool, you see yeah, you see Manchester United ho- hosting things historically. Why is, yeah, people say, why has why is, why is it never happened to Anfield? Yeah, Anfield, you know, I, I can't explain it. Um, the, Anf- uh, the, the Anfield pitch is too small to host oh, uh, wow. a Champions League final. That's 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 fascinating fact of the day. But that's really, that's genuinely interesting, yeah. Yes. Um and then when it comes to the Champions League final itself, um, you've got to be close to an international airport, which has the capacity to take at least 20,000 people in a day. Well, that that should be OK, I, I think, yeah. as far as Villa. Um, and, and, the, and the thing which intrigued me most um, was that the, uh, the, the city concerned had to have um, an, enough five-star hotels uh, it's got to have at least a thousand rooms of five-star hotels uh, to allow UEFA and its guests to stay for the evening. Um, so yeah, we, we know where we know where UEFA's priorities lie. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's certainly enough hotel space in Birmingham. Some yeah. fantastic hotels. So I've, I've, I think it's probably a capacity-based issue. I've, I've not checked up the villa uh, villa pitch size, but uh, I, I will do that later. I, re- I remember. <laughs> now, however, that was fiddly shaking, or the Baroness is spray painting something in the background. <laughs> it was the former. I remember uh, Villa Bournemouth. I can't remember. I think nineteen seventy-five. Both teams are in the third division, and there's about sixty thousand people. I remember being on telly, so it, I mean, it was, it's a huge, huge stadium, isn't it? But obviously, yeah. being all seaters now reduced the capacity. The that's an interesting one about the size of the dressing rooms because a lot of a lot of Premier League clubs like to play a little psychological game and give the away team an L-shaped room or one room with a column mm. in the middle or not as big. I um, The pitch size thing, I had a little trip to Palace's new academy last week, which is astonishing. Cool. It, for us, it's just amazing. The, the colours match. It's like carpet and walls. The important thing. <laughs> it's just astonishing. It's just so professional. And it's like I was chatting to one of the people around it. It's like, and the, the, two, the, the two big... Pitches, the academy pitches, exactly match the pitch size at Hellas Park. Yeah, and the, that's the how it should be. Yeah, the grass is Excellent. exactly the same length, and I, it blew my mind. And I was like, "This is incredible! What progress we've made!" And this, it, it took him five minutes to gently break it to me, saying, hey, "Every club does that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, but we do, we do it now. We we do it. Other, we wouldn't have done that ten years ago. Trust me, we would have had a cinder pitch ten years ago that was half the size of Hellas Park. Hi, 
I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. The next question is also about Aston Villa, and it's from Marcus Clayter. Uh, and again, it's a little bit like the old firm question. Marcus is asking for some meat on the bones, basically, because Marcus Clayter says, I've noticed that my club Villa have been mentioned numerous times since the beginning of your podcast, but never really heard any detail about how we've managed to go from a club hours away from collapse to a mid-table Premier League side with serious ambitions to attack the European places. What is the state of the club's finances? Right. Um, as far as Aston Villa are concerned, they have made the third biggest losses in Premier League history. In history? Um, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, since 1990. And, and they've lost... Um, they've lost 500 million, half a billion pounds over the course of the last decade. Um, and and the, you know, the, the clubs which have lost more than, than Villa are uh, Chelsea and Manchester City. <laughs> this is me removing Finley's collar, which he's scratching at present. <laughs> um, he doesn't like you doing stuff on Sunday mornings, does he? No, no. He just wants your full attention, doesn't he? Um it's it's it, it's uh it's almost eleven o'clock, which is wonky chomp time as well. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, Do you know what? again, Kieran? I think it's time for one of our periodic reminders that Finley is your dog, not a child. <laughs> if, there are new, if there are new listeners going, I this pod just had three million downloads. I might listen to see what the fuss is. Oh, he seems to have his child in a chained up in a collar. <laughs> Finley is a very clever dog. Everybody, new listeners. Not that many new listeners will still be with us. I imagine, but there you go. <laughs> Um, so, so I think I think it's uh, Villa have had a series of of owners whose uh, experiences are mixed. Um, under the American owner Randy Lerner, um, the club lost a lot of money, and he walked away from the club in the end, having effectively just said goodbye to one hundred and fifty million quid, which is uh, yeah, was, was pretty generous of him. Then, then we had uh, Tony G, um, based in Hong Kong. Um, and I've written here Fruit Loop. Um, <laughs> Tony t- Tony liked to engage with the fans on social media, and initially he was you know the the money he was spending um, when when Villa had dropped into the Championship was was just staggering. Um, and uh, there are there are tales, and, and I, I believe these to be true, but I can't prove it myself. That he used to uh, fly across from Hong Kong to uh, Birmingham with suitcases full of cash in which Ooh. to pay the wages. So, you know, wow. and, and then then the Chinese government turned around and said, "Tony, we're not particularly impressed with your behaviour. You're not oh. doing that anymore." And, and this is how um, Villa's finances fell off a cliff very very quickly mm. um and, and they were this this is not this is not, not me trying to be melodramatic here um 
that they were ours, not from administration, but from liquidation, because there was oh they, wow, they, they they could have easily gone out of business. Wow, um, and 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 then we we've now got the position where we've got Wes Edens and and Naz Sawiris, who are the owners. One of which is one's American. I think Naz Sawiris is the is Egypt's richest man. And they have been uh, very benevolent owners, so they they have pumped money into the club. They they have given it the uh, the ability to a reach the the Premier League, and you know I think they're now yeah you know, they've been established a few years. Um, you know the sale of Jack Grealish has has helped the coffers, of course, over the course of the summer, um, and he uh, you know he, he ran us ragged. Uh, yesterday for an hour, so you know it, it was it was money well spent from City's point of view in, in terms of talent. Um, so uh, that they've they've had owners. The last three sets of owners have all put in huge amounts of money. Um, you know, to, I think people will be surprised that they're the third biggest loss makers yeah. in Premier League history. Um, and of course, the, the top two are uh, Chelsea and Manchester City, who who can point to the trophy cabinet. Yeah. Um, as say, you know, ours is not a financial return. Ours is a is a return in, in terms of, of footballing success. Villa's success, you know, has been more modest, but uh, you know that they that they are, are certainly owners who who do appear to to have uh, a plan, and they've got a chief executive in Christian Perslow who knows his way around the uh, the, the the halls of football. So, I, I think they've got a strategy. Um, uh, whether that can be turned into success uh, is open to question because football is a really tough business. Can I first of all, Kieran, congratulate you on a, a very full uh, and informative answer, and then secondly, congratulate us both, Kieran, because there, there have been criticisms levelled at us that for middle-aged men we have a very childish sense of humour, but neither of us blinked when you said Randy Lerner. Yes, I know. We both, we both <laughs> let it go like grown-up men. Didn't mention it at all. We just carried on. <laughs> um, you talk to Aston Villa fans now, Kieran. And, and, you, know, you mentioned Bolton having tradition. I mean, Aston Villa, one of the founders of the, the Football League, very forward-thinking club even from that time. Lots of clubs were helped by them, including my own, in terms of kits and stuff like that. But you, you talk to a lot of Villa fans and you'll still hear them say the financial problems are a legacy of the Martin O'Neill era and several high-profile trends. Is that, is that fair or is that just football fans latching onto a name they know and going, well, somebody has to be has to be to blame? Well, in my view, it, it, it's, it's not... If, if you ask a manager, do you want to spend more money or less money, he's yeah. always going to say yeah. more money. Yeah. So it is up to the chief executive. It is up to the chairman of the club to set a budget which is achievable and sustainable. So I, I will never criticize managers for wanting to spend more money because yeah. we, you know, we know that the average life of a manager in football is um you know it, it, it's a couple of years and if you drop into the lower divisions it's less than that um you know I, i've been fortunate enough to uh to teach uh to uh people at the league managers association and in getting to know them from the other side of the fence you know rather than this this person that we either he's either a hero or a villain on a week to week basis to get yeah. to know them as you know as you know the same as everybody else they 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 are they are husbands and sons and dads and brothers and just like just like all of us um you you get to see that it's a very very stressful job um and i, I would i would never blame any manager for for trying to spend more money you know you, you can you can you can question the quality of the decisions but 
all of the all all decisions are are made in good faith that you think the player is going to improve the club. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it because yeah, the, the alternative is to do something which is going to increase the chances of you getting the sack. That's true. I, on the other hand, Kieran, there are certain managers you meet when you go, ah, yes, I'm not at all surprised that you danced on the touchline for five minutes during the FA Cup final. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's arseholes as well. Yeah. yeah I'm, 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 for the record, Kieran, I'd like to point out that you said that and, and not me. But, you know, you, again, we've been married for a long time, so you kind of know what I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> three questions left, uh, all of them very interesting ones. But this one from Jake Harris uh, is, is a very interesting and pertinent one. And Jake Harris says, I'm surprised that Visit Rwanda's sponsorship deal with Arsenal has continued through COVID. Is there any way they could cancel it, seeing as global travel is so restricted, or certainly was for, you know, last season in particular? Or would there be a hefty buyout clause contract? It seems a poorly timed or unluckily timed marketing campaign. And also, you know, following on from our interview with Tom Rawson last week about uh, football clubs and climate change, arguably an irresponsible one as well. Um. Yeah, I mean, we, we have seen um, Cardiff City sponsored by the uh, Malaysian Tourist Board. So, you know, and, and we have you know, where and we've got clubs who are being sponsored by airlines. So, you know, from a yeah. uh, from an environmental point of view, you know, for a sustainable carbon footprint, you know, does does this make that industry on a par with with the gambling industry, with the tobacco industry, with with. The, so, you know, it, it, we can all look at things through through. Uh, a moral and ethical lens. Um, with regards to this Rwandan deal, let's be honest, they pay more than anybody else. Right. And it, it's pure money. I, I, I don't think the people at Arsenal will have given a second thought as to uh, you know the, the inability to, of people to visit Rwanda. Um, the, uh, the, the Rwandan president, uh, Paul Gagami, um, whose uh, whose birthday it was on Saturday. Uh, I, I have done my research. Uh, I think he is a fan of Arsenal. Um, he occasionally goes on to social media. He he had, a, he had a major hissy fit when they lost to Brentford at the start of the season. Um, <laughs> but um, I think yeah. On 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 a more serious note, uh, if you just just Google Rwanda and human rights violations, and what you will read is. It is very disturbing stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's been all of this fuss about um, Newcastle United and Saudi Arabia and human rights abuses there, of which there is a lot of evidence. Well, there is equal evidence uh, in respect of Rwanda, and yet nobody's kicking up a fuss. Mm. So it, it's, it, it's a sponsorship deal where, where you know, money talks, and it's estimated to be worth around about £10 million a year, um, for a country where average earnings are around about six hundred pounds a year, yeah. so yeah, we've got people who are living in poverty, whose president, who uh, uh, according to the revised Rwandan constitution, could be president for as long as he sees fit. Yeah, which which you know again, you know, it's autocratic regime, and I know that historically, you know, what what he took over. Uh, in terms of Rwanda, was was a was a country which had been wrapped by genocide and so on. Um, but you know, re- replacing one form of uh, human rights abuse with another, uh, sadly, is not something to be to be proud of. So um, I suspect Arsenal have simply taken the money because it was it was the biggest offer in town, and they've not 
they've not given it any any more than a second thought than that. I suppose the other side of the argument is as well that one way out of that poverty for a country is to encourage as many tourists as possible to visit it. But yeah, with that, up. but there again, how much of that tourist money would trickle down to the people that really need it? So it, it, it's just yet more proof, Kieran. Even when we talk about the gambling industry, there's there is no black and white, straightforward answer to these questions. There's always <laughs> a lot of yeah. nuance. But it's a, it's a very interesting question from Jake Harris, and as you say that. This is my issue when people say to me, we haven't been angry enough about Newcastle. Well, we could go through every Premier League club there is and find a reason to be angry about it. So, you know, Newcastle fans are right to point that out. Our penultimate question comes from Ricky Saunders. I like Ricky Saunders. That's a good, solid name, isn't it, Ricky Saunders? (laughs) Right, is Ricky? Ricky Saunders, yes. Good. I'm glad it's that, Ricky. Ricky Saunders says, when Jose Mourinho accepted the Roma manager's job, did that reduce the amount of compensation he was due from Tottenham? My understanding is that Mr Levy doesn't sack his managers. Instead, he relieves them of their duties and places them on gardening leave and then continues to pay them a salary until either their contract runs out or they accept another job. Is this correct? Um, well, w- without seeing the contracts, we, we cannot confirm that uh, 100%. But if, if we like look at the, the case of uh, Pochettino at Spurs, um, you know, he... He was relieved of his duties, and he uh, he he sat around for twelve months because he was getting a very handsome payoff uh. from Spurs, effectively being paid a salary for on on a um, on a monthly basis. Um, there is one Premier League club that I'm aware of because I used to have some connections with uh, with somebody who did some legal work for them, who at one stage had seven former managers still on the payroll. Uh, it was one of those clubs which, uh, you know, and we're going back you know, 15, 20 years here, um, one, one of those clubs that had sort of a, a, a Keystone Cops approach to to manager recruitment, retention and sackings. Watford? Um, but it, but it, it could never afford to Watford? pay them fully off. Watford? <laughs> no, no. I think Watford managers just get very short, uh, very short tenures. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, and this club also had financial problems um, at the time. Um, so, as as far as um, oh, Newcastle, Newcastle, I'm going <laughs> to keep shouting. I'm going to keep shouting clubs until you crack. <laughs> um, but um, what clubs will do is they they will if you know what why do, why do they get managers to lock into long term contracts because they don't want them to be poached. So, no. so the clubs are trying to protect themselves, um, but also the manager needs protection because, you know, what happens if he signs a six-year contract and he's and he's sacked, uh, you know, a year later? Well, you know, he's committed himself. He might have moved his family up to to that area of the country yeah. on the belief that he was going to be working there for six years. Um, so, so the managers do normally have clauses in the contract which will give them a you know a, a certain amount of payoff, but there will be protection for both parties. So, if we take a look at the case of Manchester United and David Moyes, um, you know, remember he was recommended to Manchester United by Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah, um, I think he joined on a six-year contract and he was sacked in in April. And people going, well, why is why was he sacked? On uh, you know, Manchester United had lost a match at the weekend. Um, the reason why he was sacked on the Monday, following the, the the result on the Sunday, was that there was a clause in his contract which said that should Manchester United not qualify for the Champions League, it meant that they could sack him and reduce the amount of financial compensation. 
So, you know, this this was this was a part of the deal. So instead of paying up the rest of his six year contract, they only they only had to pay him 12 months or, or something like that. So so these are the types of clauses that we see embedded into contracts. And, um, you know, th- this is you know, as far as the the legal sides of, of both parties are concerned, it, it's protection for everybody. You know, David Moyes would have signed that contract in good faith because he believed, well, I'm going to get them to the Champions League. Yeah. Um, clearly, United felt that he was the right man for the job because they wouldn't have given him such a long contract and so on. <laughs> so going back to Mourinho, um, he, he would have been on Spurs payroll for a period of time, um, you know, uh, and that, that could have been a number of years. Um, but he took a job with Roma pretty soon after being sacked by Spurs. Yeah. But my understanding is that uh, Roma are only paying him around about £7 million a year. And therefore, what Spurs have to do is to top that up to what he would have earned at Spurs um, had he still been in employment uh, as as their first team coach. Crikey. <clears throat> is that Finley coming in, tapping that's his watch? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's he's he's in and out uh, yeah. all the time now. So, so if if that is uh, Tottenham's policy to keep a manager on uh, gardening leave rather than pay off their contract, that, uh, ultimately it's probably going to cost them as much, if not more, isn't it? If, if they if they just continue to pay a manager who's left for another two years, they might not be. Would, would, would they be not be better off just paying him off? And that would be you'd imagine a lesser amount. Well, as soon as he as soon as he accepts uh, an offer of employment from somebody else, then they can stop paying him, or right. Right. they okay. just they just pay the top up. So that would have been written into the contract. Yeah, so- right, I got you. Okay. Right. Our next question. Uh, uh, are you there, Kieran? Sorry, I- I'm here. Yes, I'm here. Sorry. Yes, I was distracted by the momentary silence. So you, you very rarely leave those. <laughs> our last <laughs> our last thought Finley had dragged you out. Because uh, he's a strong little terrier, I understand. Is he? No, he's not a terrier. What is he? Isn't he? He's a he, he's what? an English setter. An English setter. That sounds nice. Doesn't it? it sounds like that should be a folk song, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> speaking of which, our last question comes from Lachlan Telford. That is now, a folk song. It's a I, singer, isn't I, it? I, I like to think that Lachlan is a poet, or uh, I like to think that Lachlan wears nice jumpers. He's probably knitted himself and has shoulder length hair which he flicks back Neil Oliver fashion. And now all his mates are listening. <laughs> You've got Lachlan wrong. <laughs> oh, my word, you got Lachlan wrong. Uh, but Lachlan Telford has come up with, I think, uh, probably the first interesting alternative to a transfer window that we've had. And I'd be, I'm really interested to hear what you think about this, Kieran. So Lachlan's question is, could the structure of the transfer system and transfer windows be decreasing the availability of players and driving up wages and transfer fees? If so, would a token-based transfer system help to pull back players' wages and transfer fees? For example, each club could have 10 transfer tokens they could use at any point during the season. I, to me, that sounds like an interesting suggestion, Kieran. Um, yes, it is. Um, in terms of... Um the the benefits i think it would stop certain clubs and, and you know if, if we extended this down into youth football as well because uh, i think one of the the issues which we tried to raise is that certain clubs have a habit of um harvesting uh young talent effectively uh nicking it from other clubs via yeah. the eppp system so if, if we included eppp into this i think i think it would have you know some some potential merit um 
So because because it would automatically put a cap on the number of young players that could go to certain clubs and and it would make things more uh, equitable. Um, in, in terms of whether it would work, you know, t- how, how many transfers do you make in a season as a club? You know, yeah. Realistically, is it you know, two, three, four? So, so I don't think you'd necessarily use up all of your 10 tokens in a year. Um, and I, I can't see how it would drive down wages because you still would have Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus. You still have all of those clubs having um, their tokens and they would always have their first picks. Now, there's only so many elite players on the planet and there's only realistically, there's only a few dozen of them. So you, so I, I, I'm not quite sure how it would drive down wages on, on right. the back of that. But um, I think lower down, um, and and I know that there has been as part of the um, considerations with regards to what's going to happen with financial fair play. Um, you know, somebody's spoken about having squad size caps um, to to stop to these clubs just becoming monopolies of talent. Mm. So so yeah, if it can be combined with that, that then yeah, I, I think it certainly it's, it certainly is some consideration. Are the clubs going to vote for it? No. Yeah, that, because oh. they're, 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 yeah, yeah. so uh, we, we're going to have a problem. And then, of course, we've got the issue of FIFA. Uh, FIFA has 209 members. It could be that such an approach would uh, be inconsistent with local legislation so they could appeal to the local courts um, and our our good friends with their silver tongues would be, would be rubbing their hands with glee uh, on the back of this. Well, well done, Kieran. I hope you've enjoyed smashing a poet's dreams. <laughs> somebody who, who creates art for a living and you just you could have just cut straight to the wooded clubs vote for it no bit that would have been <laughs> fine but he, 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 he can write a uh yeah he can, he can write four or five verses about his broken heart now surely that's that's a good point you've done him a favor um I, it's an interesting I'd, I'd be interested to hear from listeners other suggestions for the transfer window because it's it seems to be the least worst option at the moment. So I'd be I'd be interested. You never know, Kieran. We might be the podcast that's responsible for making a drastic change to English football. So thank you to everybody who's asked a question today. And thank you to everyone who's made a donation to the pod via our Patreon site. This is very kind of you. Our pod will always be free to air. But any donations are, of course, welcome. Uh, that includes Philip Ross, Stuart Hatcher, Ross Dixon, Niall Crowley, Marcia Big, Chesterfield fan extraordinaire, Daniel Cow, JP and Richard Hines. And if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, go to patreon.com slash price of football. Uh, guy tells me I'm wasting my time saying forward slash and clearly precious tape time. Uh, <laughs> if you have a question you'd like to answer on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. I might stop saying at. I might just go questions priceoffootball.com because that will save him even more time. Uh, and I've just realised I've just got to the bottom of all these questions and I've put, thanks, Guy. Great questions. So I'm obviously reading from my sent box rather than my inbox. Is <laughs> a, a little detail that nobody needs to know. Um, thank you for all for listening. We should be back on Thursday with our news pod. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire and his very impatient English setter. 
uh, for his customary farewell. <laughs> well, once again, folks, thanks for all the feedback. Uh, you know, we we, we appreciate uh, we, we appreciate your support. You know, we, we're still knocked out of having three three million downloads. Um, if you uh, if, if you don't want to go down the Patreon route and you just want to send us some good karma, the, the best way to do that is to use that purple icon on the uh, Apple uh, on the Apple app, the Apple iPod app. Oh, sorry, uh, iPod iPods don't exist. Um, and uh, if you can give us give us a review, uh, it, it doesn't matter what you say, but if you can give us five stars, because apparently the the Apple algorithm doesn't read it, you can say you can say whatever you want. You could you could say it was rather you'd rather have it presented by Lee John, former <laughs> lead singer of the nineteen eighties pop funk group Imagination, and Laura Kunisberg. For all I care, and, and, and I'd listen to that. I'd listen. I've met one of those people. He's absolutely charming. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, he's a hero. But he, he once appeared in uh, Doctor Who. I, I, was, I, was watching, I was watching Doctor Who. That's Lee. And, 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 and anybody that calls himself Lee with three E's, you know, it, it, just, it goes, goes up in my estimation. It, I, I just always would love to have been at a meeting that night when he's thinking, he's chatting to his mates, what can I do? What can I do to make it stand out? Lee, it's not a standout name. Put another E on it. <laughs> that's literally, that's it. End of meeting, lap of honour carried out on the shoulders of everybody else my drinks all round <laughs> bye everybody bye Buy some football.